Welcome to the Calmer Mom Podcast, where we go from conception through pregnancy, birth, and beyond to help you be the mom your kids are actually asking for. Pregnancy, birth, and motherhood aren't easy, but they don't have to be so hard. You're not alone in this journey. I'm Michelle Noble, creator of the Calmer Mom Project. Mama, I've been there, and I've got your back. So let's begin. Hey, Mama. Have you heard all those stories of beautiful and miraculous pregnancies, and that is just not your experience? Maybe you have depression or fatigue, morning sickness. Are you worried all the time? I have a five-minute quiz that will help you relieve the sucky parts of pregnancy. If you'd like to take it right now, head over to the description of this episode and find your happy pregnancy place. Because what if pregnancy doesn't have to suck? Hello and welcome, 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 mamas. Welcome back to the Calmer Mom podcast. I am your host, Michelle Noble, the Calmer Mom Coach, and I am delighted to have with me here today, Selena Shelley. And Selena and I actually know each other because we share space in a lovely suite of offices. But most of the time when we interact, it's about like, okay, do we need more hand sanitizer? What's going on with the vote on the music for the lobby? Like whatever that kind of stuff is. And it's, it turns out to be sort of transactional. And yet whenever I talk with Selena, I always have this sense of like this kindness, this generosity of spirit, this really mm-hmm. willingness to be present and available, even when it is that like we're crossing in the halls and we've got a client and we've got to be somewhere. So I am one of the things I am looking forward to today, and I'm glad you're here with me, mamas, to listen in, is a chance to really talk with Selena about what she knows, the work that she does, just get to know her a little bit better in a different space. So thank you for being here, Selena. I really appreciate it. I'm going to start by reading your bio as a little, you know, teaser, and then we'll go from there. Great. So Selena Shelley is a licensed mental health counselor and When Survivors Give Birth approved trainer. She has a psychotherapy and consultation practice in the Seattle area and has been working with pregnant, birthing, and postpartum trauma survivors for over 25 years. First as a case manager with teen parents, then as a doula and childbirth educator, and for the past 14 years as a psychotherapist and trauma consultant. Previously, she taught in the Department of Midwifery at Bastyr University, served on the board for the prevention and treatment of traumatic childbirth, and helped develop and run the Birth Doula Services Program for Open Arms Perinatal Services in Seattle. In all her work, Selena has witnessed how important trauma-informed support and care is during the perinatal period, and she is honored to be talking with Michelle today about this important topic. Thank you. It is an important topic. And it was funny because when I was thinking of, you Mm -hmm. know, when I invited you on the show, I knew that you worked with women prenatally and that was a focus in your practice, but I had lost track that you have this special level of expertise working with trauma around the birth, Mm -hmm. pregnancy and birth experience. And one of the things that I became Mm -hmm. aware of a while ago was that with both my pregnancies and the subsequent births, and actually even the, the, I had two miscarriages, even with those, I was working with some of the, I would say some of the best, most well-trained, I- incredible midwives in our area, probably in the world, mm. really, I'll say. And yet 
there was never really a deep conversation about my history of trauma or my body experiences. Mm -hmm. Any of that was really included in any kind of a deep connected way during my prenatal care. And I've talked with other women about that since, and I find that there's a real deficit there of really acknowledging that that, I mean, mm -hmm. we are literally bringing a person into the world through our genitals, through our sexual center, and yet there's not very much discussion mm -hmm. about what the history of this part of our body, what our relationship with that is. So could you please talk to us a little bit about what you know mm -hmm. around that? Oh, sure. Oh, good. <laughs> I can talk forever about that because it's one of my favorite topics. Well, first, let me say, I think you're tapping into something really important around this isn't a topic that most people think about or want to talk about during pregnancy and or birth, right? Like you're bringing it to the forefront because you understand both personally and professionally, like this is a big deal. But like, I'm not surprised that even with some of the best midwives on the planet, I think is what you said. And I would agree knowing the midwives around here. It, it's not a topic that people don't think about. Let me work through my trauma history so that I can have an easier pregnancy and birth experience. And similarly, the professionals, the midwives, the doctors, the nurses, the doulas, anybody, until it's really something on their radar, they're not always queuing into how much might be impacting the pregnancy and the birth and the postpartum experience, right? So to me, it's like a, a joining for all the mamas out there and all the providers out there to, to come together and say, let's, let's acknowledge that trauma looks different in different people's bodies and manifests differently in people's pregnancy and birth experiences. Yeah. Right? So when I say trauma, let me kind of give a, a landscape of that. One of my mentors, trainers, most amazing people on the planet was Penny Simpkin. It's Penny Simpkin. If you don't know Penny Simpkin's work, go look her up, yeah. read 12 <laughs> of her is. books. She's amazing. She happens to live in the Seattle area. So she was one of my literal direct mentors and trainers in this work. And she would talk in her trainings, and I now talk in my trainings with professionals about little T trauma and big T trauma. Okay. Most of us experience various little T traumas throughout our childhood, early adult, teenage years, and early adulthood before getting pregnant or having babies. Some of us also experience big T traumas, okay? So little T traumas could be the messages we get about our body. They could be parental discord in our family of origin and us learning, oh, what are gender roles and what does that mean about my safety or about birth or about parenting, right? Like those kinds of things are always impacting us, right? And I would say 99.9% .9 of people have some little T traumas that they're bringing into their pregnancy and birth experience. Just living in this culture in our current times has little T trauma built into it. <laughs> For sure. So even if we don't think back in times in our history, have particular stories about it of like, oh, my mom said this or somebody, da, 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 da. it's like we are just, there's that low grade or not so low grade, a level of a kind of assault going on. Absolutely. I mean, when we think about 
how, in this case, most birthing people identify as women and how women and girls are treated in their in their body, in their image, in what what it means to be in puberty and to develop sexually. I mean, all of these things, you're right. It, it's pervasive, right? And then when you add on acute big T traumas, sexual abuse, sexual assault, domestic violence, things like that that have a sometimes one time or multiple time direct impact on our bodies, on our souls, on our spirits, on everything that has to do with growing and birthing a baby, then we're like, why aren't we talking about this? Like, this is huge, right? So that's that overlap that I think I love that we're talking yeah, about Yeah, I, I, when I'm looking at my own history and experience, I realize that, you know, I definitely had the little T traumas. And even the things that maybe were medium T traumas or, you know, but even as I say that, I realize <laughs> there was a level of I did not want to make that who I was. So my way of trying to have that mm -hmm. not be who I was, was to kind of tuck it away somewhere. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, you know, I'm, I don't see how this mm -hmm. is causing a great deal of dysfunction in my life. I'm going forward. I'm still able to have, you know, pretty healthy relationships, you know, <laughs> moderately good mm -hmm. to sometimes great to sometimes not so great sex life, but isn't that normal, right? Like all these things that I, I would like, okay, so I'm not going to make that who I am. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to kind of tuck it over here. So then when it came to the part where I was actually pregnant and preparing for birth, I had a lot of practice in kind of keeping it tucked over here. I still couldn't tell you mm -hmm. for sure without probably doing some paying more attention to it all the ways that that impacted me going into my birth experience. What I do know is that with my first birth, ex especially, I did not have any real capacity to relax my pelvis, relax my pelvic floor, mm -hmm. to receive mm -hmm. care around that area without mm -hmm. having a lot of barriers mm -hmm. or boundaries up or protective yeah. energy, especially I had planned a home birth and I ended yep. up in the hospital. So I was already outside of the environment that I had planned for myself. And, sure. and was receiving a different kind of care than I had yep. planned for myself. So there was a lot of control issues that kicked in. So the reason I bring for that up is sure. just that kind of looking at all the ways we take these experiences and we kind of figure out a place to store them <laughs> so that we can move forward with our lives. Or maybe like mm -hmm. in my case, don't even really want to bring that out because we don't want to make that who we are or something like that. Sure. What, what I love is... In what you just, <clears throat> excuse me, in what you just said was you used words like protection and control. These are actually the ways that I see the little T and big T traumas needing the most healing in pregnancy and birth experiences, right? Like, yes, there are some direct playouts where people who, especially if they've experienced physical sexual assault, as in physical physically something done to their body will have a physical manifestation that needs to be worked through. Like almost like, oh, I know why this is happening because this happened. But for so many people, it manifests in the, how do I protect my body? How do I have some sense of control, right? You're talking about home birth, hospital birth, like almost all of the prenatal trauma work that I do is about how does the client in front of me ascertain some locus of control in their pregnancy and birth experience, right? We know 
you know, everyone who works in birth knows you can't control everything in birth. It's not a, it's not something that's supposed to go. Step one is this, step two is this, but there are, are nuances and pieces of the birth experience that when somebody feels empowered to be in control of can literally change how that, how that birth experience feels and, and, and how it actually turns out. Right. Because we know that adrenaline impacts oxytocin, impacts the birth process. Like it has a hormonal cascade, but it also has a, a felt sense. Can you give cascade. maybe kind of an example of what a uh, locus of control or some what kind of a, what you're talking about? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Can I can I, I tell you about one of my favorite clients ever? OK, I, I will, of course, keep her details confidential because that's important. But back when I was doing doula work. I was working with a couple, it was their first baby, the first birth, and I met them around probably 34, 36 weeks of pregnancy. So like we didn't have a lot of time to get to know each other before birth, but we had a couple of prenatal visits. I knew she had a trauma history and I knew that locus of control is kind of the tagline I use was going to be a really important part of of the repatterning of the healing process in this birth. Okay. So she goes into labor probably about 41 weeks, which is typical for a first time mama. Um, and we're doing the, you know, the walking around the block and the like, okay, you're, you're doing this, you're beautiful, like all that. And then she starts feeling like I need to go to the hospital, which is where she had planned a birth. And we were like, great, let's go. And we're sitting here going, oh my gosh, is she close? Like, this is going to be amazing. She gets to triage and she was like maybe one to two centimeters dilated. Like we had been walking and she had been doing all this amazing stuff for hours. And the defeat that she felt being like all of that and I'm still barely in labor, right? But she rallied and she was like, but this is my process, whatever. So they admitted her. And we did more walking and we did showers and we did the whole bit. And her labor was not progressing. She got as far as three centimeters. And no matter what she was trying, what positions, what movement, stimulation, we did everything in the doula handbook for let's try to get your labor going. Because she wanted a natural birth in the hospital, but a a natural non-medicated birth, I'll say. And eventually it became clear that she was going to need some kind of intervention because her water had broken. So now she was what they call on the clock because they don't typically in most birth settings want your water broken for more than 24 hours. So she was on the clock. We're probably like 15 hours into it now. And she opts for some Pitocin, some synthetic oxytocin to get her, her contractions going. That was a big step for her. But she did it at her timing. She had been asked probably three or four times before she said, I'm ready for this. You know, we have this stuff. We can give you. It will help. And she wasn't ready. She wanted to try X and Y and Z. So she opted for that. And then a few hours later, because Pitocin tends to create some intense contractions, she opted for an epidural, which was not in her birth plan at all. But again, she was in control of the process. Nobody was sitting there saying, other than a little bit of time pressure of like, we got to get this baby out. Nobody was saying you have to do it this way or taking away her sense 
of power of of body safety is what I want to call it. Has the epidural, she starts progressing because I think the relaxation of the epidural really helped her. But then gets to pushing and there was some issues and pushing didn't go well and the what had been midwife transferred to OB care said, I think we're looking at a cesarean birth. And she was not ready to say yes. And they said, it's not urgent. Like, we'll, we're just letting you know that this is not progressing in the way we see a vaginal birth happening. She probably took another, she actually said, can I just have the room with my husband and my doula? She was great. She like cleared the room and got her space, probably took half an hour, 45 minutes, called everyone back and said, I'm ready to make this decision now. She opted for that cesarean birth. Again, so far from where she had seen this birth going, she had her beautiful baby boy, everything, you know, healthy mom, healthy baby, which is actually one of my <laughs> least favorite statements in maternity care. We can talk about that. But she got that moment of, I did it. I chose every step along the way. And even though on paper, this birth looked almost exactly opposite to what she had wanted. She had almost every intervention the hospital could offer. She felt really proud of herself and she felt, she felt that locus of control that we're talking about. Right. And that, I mean, watching her postpartum journey and working with dozens, probably hundreds of clients since then, this was a while ago. I, I hold that that made the difference in it not being a traumatic birth. It was still not the birth experience that she wanted, but it was the labor experience and the control experience that she wanted and needed really for, for repatterning years of not having control over what happened to her body. That's really cool. I'm looking at with that, it seems to me that she had some way in her journey gotten to a place where she could mm -hmm. one, ask for what she required, as she clearly did when it came time to look at whether or not she might actually have a C-section. She was able to say, no, I, I'm going to require some mm -hmm. space with just me and my husband in order to make this choice. She wasn't handing yep. her power over to someone else from fear or from, mm -hmm. I'm going to guess probably her birth team was fairly supportive because it doesn't sound like she was getting a lot of pressure there wasn't that energy of like, mm -hmm. you're a problem mm -hmm. because you're asking for more time. Just do what we say. We're the, you know, professionals or something. But that she she was able to also trust herself in each choice. So when she came to the point where she made it, she doesn't sound like she was doing a lot of second guessing then like, oh, what, maybe that wasn't what I, you know, mm -hmm. that. Do you have some suggestions or tools or ways that as women mm -hmm. are experiencing, they could kind of prep themselves to be in that space. So as you said so beautifully, whatever shows up, because how it shows mm -hmm. up is not within our control. I'm sorry, it, it just isn't. That is one place that how it shows up is never yep. going to be in our control. How we navigate it, well that's the space where we can have a sense of choice and empowerment how do you work with your clients so that before they actually get to that mm -hmm. birth experience, mm -hmm. they can be in that space? It's such a good question because I think that's the preparation piece, you're, that energetic preparation piece you're talking about is really a key shift, right? Without a doubt, what I talk with 
every pregnant client and sometimes pregnant people that aren't my clients. If, so like assaulting them, walk up to them randomly, stuff, but if they yeah. ask, no, 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 no. I'm not one of those people. But if they ask for my insight, one of the key pieces that I'm going to talk about in either a trauma consultation or just in a, hey, top three things I would recommend kind of thing is, I mean, you said it a couple minutes ago, this client had a supportive birth team, right? One of the things that I think is a mismatch is people who go into their birth experience wanting a very specific kind of birth and either for geographical or insurance or my best friend told me this is the doctor I should see or, you know, whatever reason, they're with a provider that doesn't actually, or a location of birth that doesn't actually match their needs, right? It's like you you talked about, you know, being at Starbucks, right? Like if you went to Starbucks and asked for French fries, they would say, well, go to the McDonald's next door. Like, why are you here? Right. That to me is sort of a huge component. And I please do not hear that. I'm saying everybody should change providers and work like that's not realistic. Right. But when you're having those prenatal visits with your provider or in most practices, multiple providers, Make sure you're talking about what's important to you, right? That that often gets missed. People will internalize what's important to them. Like, oh, I don't want this or I don't want that. Okay, if, if you're comfortable disclosing a history of trauma, specifically if for folks who do have a history of trauma, sometimes that can help a provider, I almost want to say, have a, have a better context, a better understanding for what you may be working with. It's not necessary though. I am the last person to say that somebody needs to disclose a history of trauma in order to have a supportive, I want to use the word yummy birth experience, right? Like it, it's more about if disclosure feels healthy and helpful and part of your healing process, great. If stating your needs and saying, it doesn't actually matter why I need this, I need space and time, or I need people to always ask before they touch anywhere on my body, right? That's a big one that I think this is that cultural piece gets missed in our culture. Like ideally anybody working in labor and birth is asking before they touch private areas of a person's body. But for some people, even going like this With somebody they don't know, like a nurse walks in and they're in their zone and goes like this, hey, I just want to check in. If that startles this, I didn't know who you were, I didn't know why you were there, and some old trauma stuff comes up, we've just done a huge disservice to what could have been a very great opportunity for that repatterning, right? So talking about, it's almost like instead of a birth plan with like, I want to use a ball or I want to shower in this part of labor or whatever. Like, not, I'm not saying those things aren't important, but why? Like, what's, what, what are you trying to achieve in safety in your labor and birth experience? And that's what this client had gotten really clear on and what I do in all my client work. Get really clear on what is important and why so that We're not re-traumatizing unintentionally, I guess is how I want to say it. When you're making a birth plan to be asking yourself, 
What is it about having a birth ball available Mm -hmm. that appeals to me? What do I think that's going to create for me? Or what am I aware of with that? And, And something you said with the touch, I realized, for instance, I'm learning so much about neurodiversity from my 13 year old because she's now to a point where she can actually talk about what's going on for her and she's self-educating around it, which has given me a lot of perspective on some of what was so difficult when she was younger, because I didn't know things like what touch meant to her or how much space she required. So we have this tendency to try to fit, especially, you know, so if you've never been, you know, especially like your first pregnancy, your first birth experience, you kind of already know that that you don't, you're not familiar and you're trusting other people to kind of guide you along the way. And in that process, it's so easy to then try to fit ourselves into somebody else's, oh, I guess that's just how it has to be. Or like, oh, that's what happens now. Oh, that's just what it's like when I get an Mm -hmm. examination. I guess that's, you know, and we have all these like weird things, like we've watched a movie or what our friend told us. So we may not think to do that kind of that it's work because it can be confronting to go, okay. Actually, I really know that when someone walks up sure. to me and gives me a hug, that's not actually relaxing. I'm not talking about me personally, but mm-hmm. like if this was someone's experience, if someone walking up and giving sure. me a big hug is not a pleasant experience for me because mm-hmm. I don't like how that for my body, well, maybe I'm not going to like it if a nurse is coming in and in their intention or a midwife to, in their intention to give comfort is doing a lot of physical touch. It's great information without a judgment that exactly. there's something dysfunctional about you that you're not comforted by touch, but just know this is, this is how it is no. for me. And I'm going to give you that information so everybody can be more successful here <laughs> and what a mm-hmm. gift that would be to the providers. I love it. So a- another thing that's popping for mm-hmm. me as I'm talking about this is I know this is a confronting conversation for people. There may be people who are listening to us talk and it's, it's kind of bringing up anxiety for them. Sure. And if that's the case, that's a great way to know that you perhaps would benefit from getting some support. Finding someone like Selena, I have ways to work with clients around getting to a place of more peace with who they are and how they are, what they require. And what I, one of the things I loved on your website is talking about the doing the work to get to a different space with your history and how you are and who you are and what you require doesn't necessarily mean that you have to go into this deep dive into all the story of what that was and get into all the details and drag, you know, walk through the ditch yep. over again. It can mm-hmm. be a different experience. That I love that you're pinpointing that piece because when I train other professionals, doulas, midwives, nurses, doctors, whoever, on this, this angle of trauma-informed work, One of the most important things that we talk about is you don't actually need to know any specifics to provide really supportive care, right? So nobody, nobody listening, nobody in their pregnancy experience or preconception or during birth needs to say, this was my experience and therefore I need. Some people choose to. Some people that's really empowering for right? Great. But as professionals, we don't need, I don't need to know that when somebody was seven, this person did that to that. Like, I need to know what is manifesting for them right now, right? So if, if they want to give me that context, because then I can help be like, oh, well, given who that person was in your life, maybe this dynamic is showing up. Sure, we can talk about that. But none of us who are supporting 
people in in clearing what has happened in their life, which you totally resonate with. I mean, that's like one of your amazing skills is clearing. Like we we don't actually need to know the specifics. And I think that keeps a lot of people from accessing care because they're like, I don't want to go there. And it's like, okay, so don't go there. Go go right here. Go to go to the birth experience you want to have or go to the anxiety that you're noticing every time you go in for a prenatal visit about vaginal exams or about blood draws or medical professionals in general. Like there's so many pieces that different people have reactions to. It's like that's what we need to be addressing. I'm not going to say just just women, but I think maybe it shows up more with women. We're so entrained around tolerating. Agreed. And so when you notice like, oh, I do have that tension come up with every vaginal exam or every time I need to get a blood draw or this happens or that or when I, you know, like this, these are these points that I notice myself tolerating this experience of care. Those are great places to, you know, just maybe go mm-hmm. into some question is like, what if I didn't have to tolerate it? What if I could ask yeah. for something different? What if I could at least voice my experience to someone, whether it be the actual Possibly ideally with the actual practitioner, but if that's not, if you can't go there, voice it with somebody, a trusted individual Mm -hmm. that, and, and just so that you can start exploring that that maybe doesn't have to be the only reality. Yes. Oh, beautiful. And, and I'm going to extend that out to then the parenting experience. That is amazing. Like practice for what we all need to do in advocating for our children. Mm -hmm. Right. And also just healing that can happen before we have, whether it's our first or our seventh baby, that can help us feel, feel like our story yeah. matters, right? And, and not do that, that societal tolerating piece that I think you're right is very imposed on females in our culture, right? Where it's like, well, this is what you're supposed, you're supposed to be a good patient, right? Don't, don't kerfuffle things like this is just their job. They need to do this. Okay. All those things may be true. They may need to do X exam or Y treatment or whatever, but it's still your body. Right. And, and that, that ability to sort of undo some of the, whether it's societal or personal traumas that have landed, it's a game changer. I mean, I have literally seen people's birth experiences shift because they were able to identify and ask for what they needed. And then that's the piece that carries into parenthood, right? When somebody's saying, you need this thing for your baby, and it's like, well, tell me why, right? Like, let me just understand, because the parent in that case is the voice for the baby for, you know, however many years until they are... 13, like your kid, or 12, like mine, and can start to advocate for themselves and be like, actually, this is what I want, right? If you have <laughs> begun to develop your your capacity to ask for what you require, your willingness to make a stand for what works for you, mm-hmm. and you've got your nine-year-old with very sharp knees who loves to come leaping onto you in the morning without much regard for where your body is in space, and you have the willingness and capacity to say, hey, that doesn't work for me. Let's look at what could work for both of us. I'm glad you're glad mm-hmm. to see me. I'm glad to see you too. But if we didn't start the sure. day with you wounding me repeatedly, 
we're going to be off to a better place here. And guess what? That's not only taking care of you, it actually is taking care of them because you've started to teach them this. And if, <laughs> this is where I'm getting all like excited on my soapbox or whatever. But imagine if you began to learn those skills during your pregnancy. And so immediately, oh. even in that birth experience and in those that first beginning space in which your baby is already tuned into your energy that you be, they are already learning from you how to navigate having a body, interacting with other people, what it's like to experience mm -hmm. different hormones, for instance. So if you're beginning to learn how mm -hmm. to speak for yourself, to, to ask for space and, and not just in a way that pretty please, but this is what's, what has to happen <laughs> as you're pregnant mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. in those first mm -hmm. early days with this baby, you're already getting, you're already showing them that their experience mm -hmm. of life and living and embodiment and relationship gets to include them. It, it gets to include their needs. It doesn't have to be about tolerating and tolerating and tolerating. You're actually being a leader for that. Totally. So please do it because it's a gift to yourself and a gift yep. to the world. But if that's not enough, what if you were choose by choosing that? And maybe, you know, if that means that you can't mm -hmm. get around to repainting the nursery or picking out the perfect crib sheets or whatever it is that might need mm -hmm. to maybe go a little to the wayside during your pregnancy preparation for you to make space mm -hmm. for this. What would it create in your future if you chose that and for your baby? That's that's my little thing. <laughs> oh. No, I love it. So stay on your soapbox. I think what you're talking about is so, it's critical when you think of the like lineage piece, right? Like we're we're not all just having babies to be like, I went through childbirth and now I'm a parent, right? Like that is the start of years of that kind of leadership or mirroring or guidance or all those things. One of one of my soapboxes that is, I mean, it could be a whole podcast, but I'll just insert it around this this body consent piece is I think there's a lot of value in when our babies are young and then moving into toddler and preschool and all that to already letting them understand what body consent looks like, right? Because I work with so many people who didn't get that understanding and often got a very different understanding in their childhood of body autonomy and body consent that if we can do not only the prenatal preparation like you're talking about, make space for for being able to have a voice or speak our truth, even when it's hard, right? I use the example often when we're changing our baby's diaper, right? Has to be done. It's not optional that babies need to be changed and often wiped because there's stuff going on, right? But it's like, what what does it look like differently if, even if they're not happy about it, we say, I know this is challenging and I have to do this because I'm your caregiver who loves you and this is safe. And we start reiterating those messages from the very beginning so that when they're six or 11 or however old, they already have a felt sense of people who are, who my parents in this case have said are trustworthy can be medically or safely involved with my body is how I guess I want to say it. And I always have the right to say, no, I'm not okay with that. Or can we do that differently? Yeah. Right. So I think 
again, I, I know, there's right? so many places I want to go. I'm like, well, what about this and that? But like, that's part of this finding a voice prenatally piece is like starting that next generation out with finding their voice. Yeah. And right. I, I just got this beautiful sense of, you know, how the difference, like if say you were going to have a prenatal exam, you know, a vaginal exam and you had a doctor who's like, okay, we got to get this done. Chop, chop. <laughs> Come on. I'm in a hurry. I got another patient going. The experience mm-hmm. that would be in your body <laughs> and that it actually doesn't take more time for someone to say, okay, this is at the end of your exam, we're going to do, you know, after we talk a little bit, we're going to do this. So now you know what's coming and, you know, mm-hmm. this is okay. Have that little bit more space. And yet I get that like when we take care of our kids around the diaper changing is such a great example because we're tired, mm-hmm. because we usually <laughs> have more, you know, like 80 million things going. It's so easy to get into that, like, well, let's get her done. And then yep. when their resistance comes up, we want to kind of mow past mm-hmm. it. Um, and if you've done that a million times, which I know mm-hmm. I did with my kids, that I'm not talking about feeling guilty. That's not the point. The sure. point is like just kind of if we start no. to acknowledge for ourselves that need for some space, it also allows us to sort of acknowledge for them mm-hmm. it might not it might just be that difference like you're talking about of okay you know hey we need to change your diaper it's how we keep your body healthy i'm your mama i you know i'm your daddy i'm your preschool you know whatever this is this has got to happen do you want to you know take a breath first and then hop up on the table or i'll help you and i'm going to pick you up now just those little steps to try to to pay a little more attention to Mm -hmm. their body and in that process, invite yourself to pay mm-hmm. a little more attention to yours as well, you know? Yeah. Oh, I love that. I, I love that you're making that connection between what it might look like prenatally and what it might look like as a parent, right? Like, like slowing that space down doesn't actually end up taking that much more time. And I am going to be the last person to say we are supposed to do everything perfectly. Dear God, motherhood has been the hardest thing I've ever done in my life with, without a doubt. Okay. So are there times where I know that I have rushed through a diaper change or not said the thing I wanted to? Of course. Oh my gosh. I I'm human. Right. So I loved when you said that piece about like, we're not trying to create guilt here. Even if this is new knowledge to somebody listening and they're like, but I've already changed my kid's diaper 3000 times and never done what you're talking about. Okay start Mm -hmm. tomorrow or start today, right? Like, or find what's developmentally like age appropriate for where they are and start talking about body consent or space or locus of control or, you know, it, we, we have a saying in my family and I share this with a lot of my clients of like repair, 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 right? The goal is not to do everything perfectly. It's to acknowledge when that probably wasn't the way I wanted it to go. And here's how I'm going to repair that. Yeah. And guess what? Giving yourself that grace is exactly right. how you show your children oh. that they also don't have to be perfect and that it's okay for them to get it's yes. here. Look, I have another soapbox, but it's about that. How we, we want our children to know that it's okay <laughs> to make mistakes. And yet when we do something that we wish we'd done differently, we are so mean to ourselves about it. So just stop. just stop it be kind you know Mm -hmm. be kind to Mm -hmm. you and it shows them it's okay too yeah so you have two kids that are teenagers now I do eight and 12 although I always say that my eight-year-old daughter is going on 15 so sort of teenagers and I 
I know I'm going to regret saying that. I'm one of those parents who's like, don't, don't set the stage for what, but like my eight-year-old is very, uh, she's beyond her years, both. I mean, she's old soul, very wise, very deep thinker, but like she's been wearing makeup since she was seven and I used to fight it. Like I was like, okay, no, you're seven. You're not wearing makeup. And she was like, "Here, this is great. You'll actually love this given the body consent conversation. No surprise. We talk a lot about body consent in my family, given what I do all day, every day. And she literally turned to me and was like, mom, it's my body. And you said that I get locus of control over my body. And I was like, mm, this is coming back to bite me, but I can't really argue with you. Right. So like, We've we've set boundaries around it, right? I'm not a I'm not a boundaryless like okay then you can wear any makeup like she's not allowed to wear mascara at eight, right? But like she went to school this morning with eyeshadow like like I, it was great and totally not what I ever thought I would be okay with my eight year old doing. Yeah, and there's like this joy uh, for me anyway. There's this joy in that, right? Like seeing her go out in the world, like <laughs> expressing yeah, and and with that awareness that. It yep, actually that's who she is. It, mm -hmm. There may be some points of view about it, but no harm is actually done. And she's learning how to be her in the world. I mean, I, exactly. too, have heard my, my kids have said to me, yes, why do you care, mom? It's my hair. Good point. Why do I care? Because I'm being narcissistic. Mm -hmm. Go mm -hmm. have fun. Take your whatever that is, the <laughs> raccoon staple to the back of your head and have a nice day. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. No, I think there's a it, it's it's sort of the. When we're, when we're parenting in a way that empowers our children to, to have that voice and, and trust themselves, it's so amazing. And it sometimes makes our job as parents a little harder than if we were, you know, saying you have to do exactly like this and always like that kind of parenting. While I get why it, I get why it feels safer in the moment, sometimes yeah, backfires yeah. later on. Right, right. And I actually have a target that my kids aren't calling me at 25 to figure out how to use the toaster. So it means sometimes I have to hold my breath, give them some guidance, and like step back. <laughs> yep. And it's not yep. always easy. Totally. Yeah. My mother-in-law, bless her heart, she, she has four boys. My husband's the oldest. And I always am just like, Three of them were within five years of each other. So I'm always just like, like <laughs> tired for her. But I, of course, didn't know her back then, right? But like, I look at what she did and I'm like, you had how many? You did what? Like, oh my goodness. But one of the things she always says to me that I love is my goal, especially because I had boys, was that they could all take care of themselves by the time they left the house, right? They all knew how to do laundry. They all knew how to do dishes. They could make at least some food, right? And like, Honestly, in most, certainly in my house, yeah, I think in all four of her boys' partnerships and houses, the the husbands are the better cooks, yes. right? And I'm like, it worked. You did whatever. Like, it totally worked, right? So I love when you you kind of are using that example of like, there's there's a goal out there. <laughs> I'm going to share one little story, and I'm going to see if I can tie this in, but because we're talking about as the kids get older and this desire we have, the joyful and excruciatingness of preparing them to be independent from us. And so this is from a friend of mine. She told me yes. this story yesterday. Her son is, I believe he's either 13 or 14. 
And she's, you know, they've had some of this kind of stuff going on of late. And she was looking at what was going on for her. She, She actually, he was telling her, mom, I'm irritated with you and I don't actually know why. And she was able to say, you know, she said it kind of hurt her feelings, but also she's like, okay, well, when you get more information on that, I'd appreciate it if you'd let me know. And then she said, actually, I have a thing I'm aware of that I'd like to share with you if that's okay. And he's okay. And she said, what I feel like is I'm holding this baton that is all the care I've done over the years to, to support you, to nourish you, to foster the miraculousness of who you are. And now it's time for me to hand that baton to you. And what I need is to feel like you're taking that baton of of this wonderfulness that you are and everything I see about you and that you're actually honoring and treasuring that and are going to take care of it now that it's yours to carry. And she said, he put my his arm around me and he's like, Mom, I got this. <laughs> and she said, it was so good. Isn't that amazing? Okay. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. That is beautiful. I sort of want her to like buy an actual baton for his next birthday. And I'm be totally like, gonna like real. it's next <laughs> like time I'm talking kind of, to like, her, physical. I'm gonna say you do that. She'll love that. That's that would be totally beautiful, right? Then he can oh man, I just fast forwarded to sometime when he's in his twenties or thirties and he's having going through some, you know, rough times and he can look at his baton and go, like, Yeah, you know, I am a miracle, you know. Okay, I got this. Yeah. And mom has my back, so it'll be all right. Well, just to circle that back around, you know, for the mamas who are listening, who are pregnant or new to this, you know, whole mom thing, we just told several stories about how we can connect or how someone can connect with their kid later on with vulnerability and also with trusting and with empowering. These skills don't necessarily just come out of the woodwork. I mean, I know that I thought things were different and then I had kids and I learned that more about myself than I (laughs) cared to know, at least up front. So, you know, like, what a great thing if you can be willing to start this exploration. It doesn't get easier to do the exploration once you're going on four hours of broken sleep. (laughs) If you can... (laughs) Totally. I love you saying that because I think that piece I was talking about earlier of like, especially during pregnancy, like the idea of like doing hard emotional or certainly trauma work is like, why would I want to do that now? Because you have more, it's that space idea, right? You have more time, space, and energy than you will for a very long time in parenthood, right? And I'm not saying pregnancy is easy. Plenty of people do not feel like they have a lot of energy or space in their pregnancy experience, but like being able to to just shift a few things, right? This isn't, this doesn't have to be biweekly therapy for six months straight of like, we're going to really hone in on, like, it could be, like you were saying, talking with a friend or doing a clearing session or a couple sessions of therapy. Like, it, it's really about shifting that, that space to what healing do I still need to make my pregnancy, birth, and parenting experience smoother. Not perfect. perfect. I love that. That's your home play, mamas. What healing do I need Mm. to make my pregnancy, my birth, my motherhood experience smoother? Not perfect. Thank you, Mm. Selena. This has been a delight. Yeah, and I'll, you know, I'll see you in the hall. 
Hey mama, are you curious about something you heard today? For more resources from this episode, check the Calmer Mom podcast show notes. And if you know that easier pregnancy and birth and joyful, confident motherhood are possible, but everyone is telling you you're crazy to think so, schedule a free chat with me or discover more Calmer Mom resources at calmermom.solutions. You got this, mama, more than you think you do, and I'm here to help. Thanks for listening.